0: Hey, we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from Edwards Lake Church, and we hope that you recognize the message of God as we open His Word together and examine His incredible life-changing teaching. We pray that this message will challenge you, motivate you, or touch you in some way. Let's open the Bible together. It is good to see everybody this evening. Uh, it's good to see some of our college faces that we've not been able to see, so that. Awesome, can't wait for y'all to get home in a couple of more weeks, at least for a little bit of an extended stay, I think, so that, that'll that be great, and uh, um, good to see you. Well, let's go ahead and jump in, because we have quite a few verses to get through this evening, because, as you know, when we get into this topic, the confidence in our salvation topic, uh, that is a topic I come to quite often with a bit of a soapbox, and I'm going to try not to soapbox tonight, but I do think that this is of incredible importance uh, that we be the kind of people who have confidence in our salvation. We have assurance in the fact that we are saved and and that that knowing that we are saved. Uh, That is something that I think just traditionally has been shied away from under the heading of arrogance or pride. We don't want to have arrogance. We don't want to be prideful. We don't want to... uh, act like we know something that we can't actually know, like whether somebody is going to heaven or hell or not. Uh, My difficulty with that is the verses we will look at tonight. Because there are so many verses that do teach that we should know, that we should have confidence, that we should have full assurance that we are going to heaven. And when we walk out into the world, Nobody is, is, quote, sold by, I think, I might, hopefully, maybe. But that's kind of how we present uh, the concept of heaven and the concept of going to heaven. I think that I might possibly, maybe, go to heaven, hopefully, if, and then we have a long list of all the ifs as to why we might not make it. Be cautious about that. Especially once we're done with the verses tonight, I'm hoping you will see we can know. And that is not arrogant. It is not proud. It is not wrong for us to say, I am going to heaven. That's what we should say. First passage is in 1 John 5, verse 13. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. Here it says, in in this great book that spends a lot of time, that one of the key words of the entire letter is know, that you may know. And you see that here even in this passage, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You may know. Not you may possibly think that it is a possibility that hopefully one day you will get to go to heaven. That, that's not what this says says, I have written these things so that you may know. Some of your versions will say, so that you may have confidence that you have eternal life. That concept of confidence, the concept of knowing is having full uh, ability to say, this is what I have. Right? And, and that's, that's important. John desires for Christians to have confidence, and it is one of the reasons he writes these five chapters for us, so that we may know that we have eternal life. He also says at the beginning of the letter this. Uh, and again, I have gotten trouble after this morning's sermon about small text. That's why I put the verses up there here so you can turn to them in your own Bible. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing to you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for, only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. So here we've got, again, this kind of two-part plan for us so that we can have full assurance that we can have salvation because the main reason people will argue, well, you can't ever know because we sin, right? I mean, that we mess up. We, we, we sometimes do the wrong things. We often fail to do the right thing, which we know from James four seventeen that is sin. Now, there are times when our attitudes are sinful. There are times when we sin and we don't even know that we sin. So if we sin, all those times ever so often how could we ever have confidence that we have eternal life according to john in a letter that he says i'm writing these things so that you may know that you have eternal life he says we sin we do mess up we do fail if we tried to argue that the reason we're going to heaven is because we don't sin we are lying We are wrong. We make him a liar when we say that. This is not about you being sinless. It is about you being in a right relationship with a father who is willing and faithful and and, and always wants to give us uh, forgiveness. And we have an advocate named Jesus Christ who is defending us before the Father. He is himself the one who atoned for our sins and put us back in a right relationship with God. So if there was ever a way for us to have confidence, it's by knowing the Father who forgives and knowing the Son who advocates and atones for us. So our confidence is not based on perfection, that we have achieved in daily living, it's based on knowing the Father and the Son. That's the difference. I often think that the reason we struggle so much with confidence, with assurance, with knowing that we have eternal life is because we recognize all of our failures. But the problem with that is our confidence in eternal life doesn't really have a lot to do with all of those failures. It has to do with us recognizing our failures and turning to God to fix those failures. And we can all do that. We can all do that. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, this is probably the verse that really set me down this path of going, I don't know that I view this correctly uh, when, I, when I struggled to have confidence Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6 is the verse I want to focus on. I want to read a couple of extra verses for you for context purposes. Starting in verse 2. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now, every house is is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ, remember Christ who is greater than Moses, Christ who has built a greater house than Moses built, but Christ was faithful as a son over his household. Now listen to this part. And we are that household if, if we hold on to the confidence and the hope in which we boast. That's a really big if. We are the house that Jesus built if we have confidence. Do you see that? So the logical conclusion is, if we don't have confidence, what does that mean? We're not his house. Part of what it means to belong to Christ, part of what it means to have that sort of commitment, to have that sort of redemption, to have Christ as your atoning sacrifice, part of what that means is knowing that Christ's sacrifice was good enough. Was more than good enough. Christ sacrificed the house that He built, that He built based on His willingness to atone for us and make us right with the Father. That house, we are only part of it if we truly trust in what God has done for us. Do we? Do we truly trust that? Because if you do, and I ask the question, if you were to die today and go to heaven, your answer should be a confident yes. If it's not, there's something interfering. And if not that God hasn't done his part, it might be that you haven't relied on him enough. The problem is not the plan. The problem is not the the ability to have confidence. The problem is there's something interfering with you and him. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for people to die once and after this judgment... So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now this morning we talked about some of the schemes of the devil, and one of the things we talked about was fear and fear of death. And I made the the illustration of knowing what's on the other side of the door. One of the great things about being a Christian is that we know what's on the other side of that door. We can have full confidence that on the other side of that door, we have a God who loves us, who is waiting for us. We have paradise waiting for us. We have a perfect existence waiting for us. It is going to be grand and glorious and awesome, and we can look forward to that, and we cannot live in fear of that we will eagerly wait for the opportunity to go through that door if we know what's on the other side of the door. I, I imagine, since we're in the season of Christmas, I imagine it's like Christmas morning. We have rules in our house. You don't get out of bed until 7.30. Our kids don't keep it as much as they should or used to. But the rule has always been you don't get out of bed until 7.30. 30. Some of our kids wake up at six. And especially on Christmas morning, uh, back in years past, they wake up even earlier than that. Mom and dad ain't getting up. Mom and dad are in bed. We're not getting up just because you want to get up. How do you think they feel from six o'clock in the morning until 7.30 in the morning? Now, they don't know all the details of what's on the other side of the door. They They don't know what's inside of... Uh, packages under the tree, that, but they know there's an exciting time waiting for them, and they are eagerly waiting, counting down the time till they can leave the room and get out there and enjoy Christmas. Right? That eager expectation—that's what's being described here for us. That's what uh, Jesus is coming, not for those who are are are. Scared of the end. He's not coming for people who are not sure about the end. He's coming for those who are eagerly waiting for him. That can only happen if you have confidence. That can only happen if you know what's on the other side of that door. You can only be eager for the end if you know the end is a good thing and better than the current thing. One of the things that has amazed me over the past couple of years, here I go on a soapbox, one of the things that has amazed me is how scared people have been of potential death. Why? If you belong to the Lord, be excited about it. Now, I will give a caveat to that, and this is thanks to Elijah, and I can brag on him since he's here, and this was right before he left to go to school, and I was preaching about something and made that kind of point, and Elijah pulls me aside, as he always very respectfully does, and he goes, all right, so I have something to bring up. I can think of one reason why somebody might not be eager to go, and it's because there's somebody they love they haven't taught yet. Or hasn't responded yet. And they, they, they still want more time for that. They want more time to share the truth with that person. Great point. Get busy. Get the job done. Because you don't have a guarantee of tomorrow or next week or next year. So if you're really, if, if your love for them causes you an emotional response that is severe enough that you aren't eagerly excited about the end coming, well, then you need to teach them right away. But I, I thought, valid point. I'm going to bring that up next time I talk about this. It just happened that he's here, making sure that I do. So, no, he, he's really not. Uh, so, it, I, it, you know, it, we should have eliminated all the barriers that would cause us not to be thrilled about walking through that door. Because God has, God has eliminated all those barriers. God has made uh, kind of, you know, we talk about John the Baptist coming and making straight the pathway for the Lord. Jesus came and made straight our pathway, straight to heaven. We'll just be willing to walk on it. And, and we should be eager about him coming or about us going because that means good things for you and me. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. 2 Peter chapter 3, 11 through 13. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, It's clear what sort of people you ought to be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. Again, you've got this eager expectation This eagerness for the end, this eagerness for Christ's return an eagerness that we be reunited with our Lord face to face, an eagerness to see all the glory that he has created for you and me, this new heaven and this new earth, this eagerness to experience the joy of salvation that only comes from God, this eagerness to be able to put aside this world and leave this world behind and let it be burned up and melt with fervent heat so that we can go and exist the way God intends for us to exist, which is in his presence. That's confidence. That requires confidence. It requires that we we know what the end is. It requires us that we know our own destiny, a destiny not that we've earned, but that we have received because of the mercy and grace of God. Shouldn't we be excited about it? Shouldn't that be something that we're we're eagerly expecting? Because again, it's way better than this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. Philippians 1, verse 23. Not really sure why I'm turning to these in my own Bible, other than to just give you time to turn to them in your Bible, because I'm reading them off the screen. But, you know, it's weird habits we preachers have. All right, so here we go. Paul says, I am torn between the two. Two options. I long to depart, I long to die, I long to move on, I long to no longer be here, and I long to be, or, and be with Christ, which is far better, if you look at the context here, the other option that he has available to him, is, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Yeah, I love that, that Paul unabashedly says, leaving here is better. Being done with all of this, being done with the persecution and the the chains and the the, the people who reject and the people who betray and all the difficulties of life and being shipwrecked and stoned and beaten and all of the things he experienced. He could leave all of that behind and go be with the Lord. Or he could stay a little longer and do a little more work. And he's torn. Which one did he want to do? Now, here, here's the point I want to make with this. First of all, the obvious point is this. We should have that same sort of confidence that Paul has. That, that leaving this life, leaving this mortal shell behind, being exalted into our eternal bodies, our, 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 our bodies that never wear out, that, that's favorable. That, that is far better than something we should long for. But, but I, I want you to notice the other side of this. There's a part of him that wants to stay. But why does he want to stay? Not so that he can enjoy this earth more, but so he can do more work. This goes back to Elijah's point. The only thing that I find in Scripture that gives us a reason to stay longer is because it's one more opportunity to do more for the kingdom. Our problem is oftentimes the reason we want to stay longer has very little to do with the kingdom and a lot to do with, well, I don't want to leave all of this behind. That's not a good motivation. That's not the reason to want to stay. The reason we should want to stay is because of that loved one that hasn't responded to the truth yet. If, if there's one more chance to have one more opportunity to bring one more person to Jesus so that Jesus might save them too, that's worth staying for. But nothing else. We should want to go to heaven. And that requires a level of confidence in salvation and in our destiny. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6-8. i I'll quit the ruse and just read it straight off the screen. Here we go. For I am already being poured out of the drink offering and the time for my departure is close. This is, as far as we know, the last letter we have of Paul that he writes to Timothy. He's getting to the end of his life. This is, this is his perspective about the end of life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Now notice this. Paul groups himself with those who were eager. Paul puts himself in this group of people who have, who have fought the good fight and kept the faith and run the race And they've done the job of working for the kingdom while they're here on this earth. And because of that, God has promised to them, he has gifted to them a crown of righteousness, and he is eager to receive that crown of righteousness, just like all the others are who have loved his appearing. How about you? You know, I I think, and, and... I won't talk about you. I'll, I'll talk about me and say in saying this somewhat condemning statement. I think sometimes it's easy for me to say I'm excited about the second coming of the Lord because I don't think it's going to happen yet. Now, I know it could. Intellectually, I know he could come before I get done preaching tonight, especially if I drag this on long enough. I mean, he, he, could, he could come at any second. I know that. But I also know the sun couldn't ri- might not rise tomorrow, and the odds of that, because I have now for 41 years, had the sun come up every single day. So my experience tells me He's not coming yet. And so I can can say, yeah, can't wait for him to come. Because deep in my heart, I don't believe it's going to happen yet. And it's easy to say you're excited about something you don't actually believe is going to happen yet. It's the same thing about my death. It's easy for me to say, yeah, I can't wait to die. When I die, it'll be wonderful. I get to go to heaven Woo, yeah. But I'm not facing death yet. I mean, I am intellectually. I know that. I, I know I could die in a car accident. I, I could have a heart attack the way my high blood pressure has been lately. Woo, you knows? But, I mean, you, I, I know it could happen. But I don't actually practically believe it's going to happen any second. And and so it's easy to claim an excitement about something that I think is still pretty far off. We got to let the rubber meet the road here. And this is what the whole pandemic thing revealed to me. Is that we got a lot of people in the church, a lot of people in the world who have claimed to be excited about their destiny. Who were doing their best to avoid it at all cost. Why? Why? I mean, if it's truly the better existence, why avoid it? If it's truly something we desire to happen, why avoid it? And we come up with all sorts of reasons. You know, I, I, I've got a three-year-old. I've got a 15-year-old and three more in between that I can't even remember how old they are. I mean, it, it, I, I, I've got children that I want to see grow up and I want to see them get married. and I want Do you notice what I began all those phrases with? I want to. I want to do that. You know, the truth is, and and I hate to say it this way, if I truly believe God is a sovereign and wonderful and loving God, and God says that it's okay for me to die tonight, God has a plan for those children. I'm just not in it. Shouldn't I trust God for that? Shouldn't I be willing to say, yes, God's way is better than my way and God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts and if God says this is an okay option, okay. God knows. I can remain excited about the end. Now I'm by no means saying go jump out into traffic and and go ahead and meet your demise and force it along. That's not my point. But my point is, be willing to face it with excitement, with enthusiasm. Love his appearing. Whether that be because he comes to you or you go to him, love his appearing. Because that's what it takes to belong to his house. Revelation 22 verse twenty. Here's John's perspective at the end of the uh, great revelation that we have. Right at the end of the New Testament, he who testifies about these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. That's easy to pray on bad days. But most of us don't have bad days most days. That should be the thing that we pray on every day. Because the coming of our Lord is a much better circumstance and situation than him putting it off longer. For us who belong to him. For those who don't belong to him, we better get busy. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 18 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 18. In this great description of the coming of Jesus, uh, you've got uh, this, this long passage here about those who have already fallen asleep in, in Christ and uh, they're uh, kind of using as a euphemism for those who have died. Verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep says that the lord will descend with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first and we who are still alive who are left will be caught up with them in the cloud to meet the lord in the air and so we'll always be with the lord here we got this description of the end and then he ends with these words therefore encourage one another with these words you know, the 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 whole story of the end, the story of, of this world ending and us being in heaven, the story of God's plan coming to completion, the story of all of that, that should be encouraging to me and you. Not something that we dread. You know, Jesus is coming, and the end of the world should not be frightening for those who love Jesus. We sing that invitation song, There's a great day coming. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't want to sing anymore. So, there's a great day coming. That's how we should feel. That, That should be what's deep in our hearts. That should be what motivates us every single day. Jesus is coming again. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, our last passage for this evening. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. After a long discussion on resurrection and the the reason why we can believe that the resurrection is true, he says this at the end of that discussion. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast. Immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know. There's that word again. Because you can have confidence, because you can be fully assured that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. One of the great things about having confidence in heaven is that it works backwards from the way that we often think of it. We often think that because I am a Christian, I must do work and meet my responsibilities and take care of all of these tasks God has put before me, and then I can make it to heaven. Isn't that the way we normally think about this? But Notice the way Paul puts it here in 1 Corinthians is, You have full assurance in your resurrection. The fact that He has redeemed, the fact that He has made resurrection for each of us possible that he will turn our physical bodies our mortal flesh into immortality and our temporary body, bodies into eternal bodies and he will erase the sting of death and he will get rid of all of our fears that we face in this world because he has eliminated all of the things that we ever would have to be fearful of and because of that because he has already done the work of saving and giving you a destiny Because of that, you should be abounding in the work of the Lord. That's backwards from the way we normally think of it. We don't work to make it into heaven. We believe confidently that we are going to heaven, which should cause us to get busy about the work. This goes back to what Elijah and I were talking about the one thing that makes you a little less eager is there's somebody that I know that needs the gospel. Well, when you know you are going to heaven and somebody else might not be, what will that motivate you to do? Go bring them along. Go get busy teaching them. You see, evangelism is one of those things that is not... We're never motivated to do evangelism because it is on our list of responsibilities. Although that's the way we often talk about it. You know what motivates us to get busy about teaching the gospel to people? It's knowing that that person I love isn't going to be in heaven with me if I don't get busy sharing the gospel with them. Because I know I'm going to heaven. That that I believe, that I have confidence in, that I am fully assured of, I will be in heaven with God for eternity. But they're not going to be. And I'm not okay with that. So I am going to go grab them, and I am going to pull them, and I'm going to teach them, and I'm going to do everything I can to, to bring this person that I love with me because I love them enough to do that work. That's the way we need to view this. It's not about checking things off a list. It's about bringing people with you where you are going. And I hope, I I hope that will help you live a life where you know your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So let me offer the, the invitation that, that just kind of naturally flows from this. If you're going to heaven, that's awesome. We get to go together. But if you don't know, that's awful. And I hope you'll do something about it tonight. The Bible's clear about how to, how to have that assurance It's not based on doing all the right things. It's not based on keeping all the right rules. It's not about earning your way. It's about turning to him and letting him wash you clean. And as Paul says to Titus, being washed with regeneration and being renewed by the Holy Spirit. If you've not done that, then you have no confidence in heaven. And I hope you'll do something about that tonight. I hope you will let him make you clean and be in that relationship with him so that you can have confidence because you are walking hand in hand with God. And then that will cause you to live better. Because you are so appreciative and excited about the destiny. I encourage you, if you're not a child of God, become one tonight. Let us know how we can help you if we stand and sing this song. Hosanna, oh, you're my king. Thanks for listening and studying God's word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's word with us, Please check out other sermons on our podcast or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.